There is nothing that we can do, God, that is sufficient to describe the glory that is due your name. And yet here we are, and you are so pleased with your people who come to worship you. Be exalted today, God. Be not just exalted in our hearts and our words as we try to speak, but be exalted as we bow ourselves down to your word as it rises up in our hearts to bring hope and healing and truth. Come and minister that to us today, we pray. You are a good father. You are a good father, and we are so glad to gather together. We pray in your name that your spirit comes upon us now, that you lead us into truth, that you affect things in us that we can't manufacture, that no human being can do. We trust in you this morning, God. Amen. 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 Thank you. Would you take your seats? I want to say it is, uh, <laughs> I think the, the, the privilege is mine <laughs> to be here. I, I remember m- meeting Edwin and just considering him such a gift to me because as an immigrant coming into the city um, on a little bit of the voice of God and a little bit of, am I crazy? Like, should I be doing this? And then meeting people like him along our journey has been the, like the embodied grace of God to us. And I'm just so grateful for that. And so we have these mornings where we get together and just pray together. And there is no agenda. It is not like we just... It's just we get to do our time with Jesus in the same space, the two of us. And I'm so grateful for that. It's just so encouraging to do something so normal together in our city and community. So my name is David. My wife, Lisa, uh, is not here. She really would have loved to be here. She's out of town, but she sends her love. Um, We have three kids. We moved with all of them. They were all young, um, one, three, and five when we moved here. Uh, So they consider themselves New Yorkers. They don't remember much of the past. And we've got to remember, no, you've got African roots. That's where you're from. Um, (laughs) And their accents are, are, are American or New York accents. And no matter how hard I try, they still mock me for my accent. Um, so if you don't understand anything today, I'll clarify it later. It's, it, it'll be fine. Um, the last time Lisa left me alone with the kids was a little disastrous. <laughs> for this one reason. Um, I needed to go pick up something. And... My one son, Malachi, he's the oldest. He, was, he just sat down. They get it's kind of limited screen time where they can play games or whatever it is. And he had just sat down to play games. And I realized, man, I've got to go pick up something. And I've got 20 minutes to do it. I've got to go. And I realized he's the kind of kid that if I now interrupt what I've just given him to do, he'll really struggle with that emotion. So I thought to myself, he'll be fine. <laughs> he'll be fine. He's 10. He's got a watch, like a very simple watch, but it's one. I don't want to give him a phone yet or get him a phone yet. You know, we're just kind of wrestling with that as parents and what that means. And, and he had this watch that he can phone me, but that's it. So I knew if anything goes, he could call me. So I take my other two kids as a dad, and I go to fetch this thing and a little bit into the journey, just like five minutes. It would only take 20 minutes. Five minutes in, I get a phone call from him. And all I hear is sobbing. He's just weeping and weeping and weeping. 
and I'm trying to make sense of what's happening. Say, hey, boy, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And he's crying. And eventually, the only thing I hear coming through the phone was this line. Dad, the house is burning down. And, and I'm listening to this, and I'm going, what did I do? I should never have done that. And, and I speak, and I speak, and the phone cuts out. And I phone back, and I eventually get back. He like, picks up again, and he's, he's, he's crying. And I go, go run. Just run. Just find any adult that you can find. Strangers, go speak to strangers right now. Go and get them and tell them to help you. And he's getting more upset, and the phone cuts out. And I phone back. I'm like, boy, and he's quiet. And I'm like, boy, are you there? He's like, yeah, Dad. I'm like, what's going on? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm okay. So I'm like, well, what happened? He was playing a game. In the game, the house that he built on the screen was burning down. And he was telling me this and in tears about that. Thank you, Jesus. So I raced back home, and that evening we had a very serious conversation. And the two questions I had was, one, why has this game gotten so important in your heart that your life falls apart when it doesn't happen properly? And number two, let's talk about what really constitutes an emergency, because we need to know the difference. So pray for me while my wife is away. Well, let me say, pray for my kids while the <laughs> wife is away. Um, I want to read a passage from the book of Ephesians, but before I get there, uh, it, it, it answers a really big question in life. We run this thing called Alpha, and it's a program where we just invite people to have lunches together, dinners together, meals together. You guys do that so well here, I just want to say. Like, just being around a table together. And we ask some of the big questions of life. And the, the first question we ask the first night that we have it is, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than just getting on that train and going to do your job and trying to pay the bills and hustling through life and hoping for something better? Is there more to life than this? And we invite people who don't have faith so they come and wrestle with us with these questions. And uh, on that first night, one of the things we ask is we say, if this was a football game or a baseball game and the stadium was all here, how would you describe your pursuit of spirituality? Are you, uh, are you playing the game? Are you trying to play the game? Are you just in the stands watching, just kind of checking it out? Are you not even interested in the game? Where would you put yourself in the game of spirituality? And the answers that people bring are astounding. Some people say things like, well, I've tried playing the game. I think I'm really bad. I don't think I want to play this game anymore. Some people say, uh, well, um, I'm just in the stands watching to see if I want to get involved. Some people say, I have tried everything. And me being here, sitting, talking to strangers around a meal, that is my Hail Mary, my last-ditch effort to play this game. Others say, no, nah, man, I gave up. I'm, I, I'm in the stands selling the beer. That's what I'm doing. I, I'm not even interested in the game. And people just identify where they are in this journey of spirituality. 
But all of them agree that they think there's more to life than what they're experiencing. Now, if you would, stand with me while we read this text from Ephesians. We stand not because it's just the thing that church people do. We stand because we honor the Word of God, and we, in this posture, say, we come under the Word of God, and we respect the Word to come and do something in our lives. And I want you, where you are, as I read this, to silently pray and just say, God, may your Word come and feed my soul this morning, because He wants to. And his word is very good at doing this. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished upon us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained the inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of Him, who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope in Christ, might live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now the language in this text is unbelievable. It is superfluous language. What that means is it's over-the-top language. It is more than enough language. It's not just God has done just enough for you. It is the kind of language that, say, that says you think there's enough. There's way, way, way more than enough. Now, the search for the big why is what brought us here. It's, it's, it's a hope and a dream to be part of an urban environment like New York City that God loves so much. Now, when we came... Uh, Pastor Edwin told you a little bit of the story, and it sounds dramatic, and if I look back now, it really is a little surreal. I can't believe it's our story. We came with nothing. We had nothing. We had just enough to pay the first month rent, and that's it. We didn't have a job. We didn't have anything. We had six suitcases, and uh, that contained everything we possessed in the world. Now, six suitcases in this world sometimes is a lot. But that's all. That's all we had. We brought it. We had no furniture. We sat on the floor in this apartment that we rented from a guy that was very, very sketchy, very dodgy. We had no credit record like many people do. We had nothing that we can say, here we are. We're good for this. You can trust us. We had nothing like that. We came into the city trusting God would open the door. And because this man, this very unrighteous man, opened the door for us to have an apartment when we shouldn't have gotten it. 
We had no qualifying characteristics. Because he did that, we also noticed very quickly that he's done that to many other people in the same building. And what that meant was the building was a, a little bit of a survival zone. Like, you might live in this kind of building even now, where you're, you're trying to just make it through life. So in our building, we had a number of um, just very, very broken people in one building together. And we were part of that. And it was a very hard year for us. That first year was brutal uh, in terms of income and sustainability. And I'll, I'll use another time to tell you the stories, but it, it was literally getting food from trash bags at times to make sure that our kids are fed. And when my kids go like this, we'd walk down the street and they'd go, Dad, can I just, from a church, like from a church gathering, Dad, a hot dog, I'm hungry. And I know we've got a loaf of bread at home. And I'd say, uh, we'll wait till we get home. That's all I'd say. Because I don't want them to feel the pain and the, and the heaviness of, of this. No, Dad, I want a hot dog now. And I go, well, uh, I don't have money on me to buy it now. You know what my kids say? So classic, just innocent. Go to the machine and get money, Dad. <laughs> and I couldn't tell them. I can't go to the machine to get any money because there's no money in the machine. Let's make it home. Make it home. We, there wasn't a day that we didn't eat. Not a day. God was really good to us. But we go through these broken things and we start to ask very significant questions of life and what it means. And this particular passage says something, and I'm going to start with this particular phrase, and then we're going to look at three things that happens in this passage that brings us hope and a purpose that answers the question, is there more to life than this? We start here, and the, the author, Paul, is contending this, that everything that ever happens in your life and in this world finds their meaning, finds their purpose, finds their understanding in Christ. It says this in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in Him, in heaven and on earth. Now, two questions. What does that mean? What does it mean to gather up all things in Him? This is what one theologian says. One theologian says, it is like looking back on your life. Think of the worst things that have happened to you. Some of those things you can now tell, like I just did, with a smile on my face because it's a distant memory. And because the goodness of God has used the brokenness of my life to be able to relate to other people who are broken as well, who need to know they're loved by somebody who understands what they've gone through, right? Now, that story, if, you, if I just tell the story of I had no money to feed my kids, uh, my daughter broke uh, her, her fingers in one moment and got this, and we couldn't go to any doctor. There was no clinic that we could see. No one could help us. So we took the credit card that we maxed out. We cut it up, and we used it as a splint for her finger as we put it back together with the broken bones like this. Her finger, by the way, is perfect right now, not because I was a good doctor, but because God's grace was just with us. Now, I tell that story now with, with a sense of joy. Now, I'm not sadistic in that. I, I'm not mean. I tell it because every little story of hurt and pain and brokenness of our journey here, that's just a little part of my life. Every little story has become a part of what Jesus has used 
for his kingdom and his glory and my good. But in the moment, I had no idea that was what he was doing. In the moment, I, I walked the streets in any time. There was one day, I remember so clearly, I walked the streets going, where are you, God? Where are you? I have, I have given up everything. And here I am in New York City, and I have done this for you, and you called me here, and I just obeyed you, and I became very self-righteous, right? Like, God, you owe me something. And I was walking the street screaming, and all I heard him say to me is, 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 is just a still, small voice in my heart. He said, you're asking me to take away from you all the brokenness and the pain and the hurt that I was in. You're asking me to take away from you the very thing I'm giving you so that you can love my people. And I just, my heart broke. I was like, I am so sorry, God. So I went, I walked back home. And as I walked back, I got home. This was just before Christmas. And I wanted to give my kids Christmas gifts. But I said to them, for weeks, there's going to be no gifts this year. That's not what Christmas is about, because I knew I couldn't buy them any. <laughs> it's a noble reason for teaching them what Christmas is all about. <laughs> so, so the reason I was moaning at God was literally because I couldn't buy my kids Christmas gifts. So I walk home, and I get into this apartment. We've just been here a few months in New York City, and there's a knock on the door. And I open the door, and it's a UPS guy with a box about this big, like that. And he says, are you David Lowe? I was like, yeah, like, this is for you. Now, I'm new to this country. When a UPS guy comes and gives me something, I actually don't know what to do. So he goes, this is for you. So I go, I didn't order it, man. Take it back. It's not me. I, don't, I, I can't pay for it, whatever it is. He's like, man, I'm just giving you this. I was like, no, 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 I, I, I don't know. He's like, sir, I'm just doing my job. Take the box. Okay, sign, take the box. I don't know what I'm signing for, so I take the box, I take it inside, open it. Someone who had no idea what we were doing or what kind of condition we're in had packed a, a box full of pre-wrapped Christmas gifts all for my kids. So I looked at it, I, I, I poured it out in the lounge in the corner, and I was like, just so grateful. And my kids walked in, and they're like, what's this, Dad? You said we're not getting gifts. <laughs> so I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? I think God's done something for us, and we can celebrate. Now, the point of this is what, what this particular theologian is saying. He's saying, think of the worst thing in your life, and imagine, even if you can't make sense of it right now, if you can't understand why it's happening, if you can't think of a reason why God would allow this in your life, or think of the worst thing in your life that you have done, that you know you're at fault, you're the one to blame for all the brokenness or the hurt or the pain, take any of that and imagine this, according to Paul, according to his ultimate purpose, that, he says, <clears throat> as a plan for the fullness of time, this is his grand master plan, he's going to take the best and the worst of your life, and in the end of the days, he's going to make sense of it. You're going to understand that he was good from there all the way, no matter what happened in the way now. It's really hard to understand that in the moment. It's super hard to understand that in the moment. And God has spoken to my soul so much about it, just to trust him. So there's this master plan where Jesus wants to recapitulate. He wants to tell the story of the house burning down and the, the getting food from trash bags. And he wants to tell it in a way that's going to go, 
God, you are so good. I never understood that. You might not feel that yet, but what Paul is saying is that is God's plan for the fullness of time. Think of the, the brokenness of our society. Think of the marginalizing of the poor, the weak. Think of how our society thrives on the, the wealthy getting wealthier and the poor getting poorer. Think of all of these things and go, okay, at the very least I know that in the end of time, the fullness of time, Jesus is going to make sense of this thing that I can't make sense of right now. Think of the, the, the wars that we have fought in the world. Think of the sin and the brokenness. Think of the Nazi camps and the amount of people who died through those terrible, terrible genocides throughout. No, God's going to take that story and still tell the goodness of God at the end. And we're going to go, God, why would you let that happen in our world? And he's going to go, look here. We might not see it yet, but that's his plan. Now, the plan and being part of the plan and how can I be part of the plan is an interesting thing because we have dads. Some of you didn't grow up with dads. Some did grow up with dads. Some of you grew up with great dads. I would imagine a large percentage of us just by the world we live in grew up with dads that maybe weren't present, maybe didn't do as we would have loved them to do. And you might be sitting here as an attempt to rewrite the story and say, well, I'm going to be different, right? Maybe, just maybe that's happening. Either way, dads help us answer some key questions in life and help us lead us from where we are to a future. That's my job as a dad, to help my kids from where they are to a future, to something that they can live and love Jesus and live in this world. And some of the key questions we answer right from when they're little, little, little guys is this, am I loved? Deep soul questions, and it's my job as a dad to make sure that they know they are completely, totally, unconditionally loved no matter what. So that one day when they're in the biggest trouble of their life, they can remember this. When I was a kid, my dad said this one thing to me every single night, and it was, do you know what the most important thing is that I want you never to forget? What is it? It's that you love me, dad, and you'll never stop loving me, right? These deep soul questions answered, am I good enough? We as parents, we speak into that. What is worth living and dying for? Deep questions that fathers and parents answer in society. And we get to for other people as well, not just for our kids, but for our community. These deep, deep, deep questions that we get to in the end of the day. Now, we look at this grand purpose of Jesus and we go, what's our place? What's my purpose? And Mark Twain once said, and this is quoted often by those uh, in, in the military, um, he said this, the two most important days of your life is the day you were born and the day, anybody knows? The day you, found, you find out why. The two most important days of your life, Mark Twain said, is the day you were born and the day you find out why. Now, Paul goes into why we matter in the big scheme of things. Now, dads or parents have this incredible responsibility to take you from where you are, help you in your purpose, and then give you what you need to live out that purpose. To get to, I want to be part of this grand plan for the fullness of time where everything's going to make sense. We in this room get to be part of that plan. How? Why are we a part of that? Because some of us just didn't get that from our parents. And, and how do we do that? That's what I want to look at quickly. Now, 
The first thing he says is this. God the Father who has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of time. The first thing that affirms that God wants you to be part of his grand story is this. Because he chose you. Now there's a lot of debate about the choosing of God. But here's the one thing we've gotten wrong about the choosing of God. And the debate is around, why would God choose some and then exclude others? That's the, that's the hardness of the choosing of God. I, I want to just contend that that's actually not the real answer here. In this text, he gives us a few clues. He actually says that, Blessed be God, the Father of Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, every spiritual, uh, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Before the foundation of the world to be holy, he's chosen us to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, we were chosen, but why were we chosen? Just because God wanted to. Because he loved it, not because we were good enough. Not because we did something fantastic. And even though we weren't good enough, he still chose us. But the point is this. He chose us in love, and he says that he loves us. Not only did he choose us in love, but he chose us for love. The choosing has a purpose, and the purpose is this. He destined us for adoption in Jesus Christ according to his will, to the praise of his glorious. We exist for the praise of His glorious grace. And when, when people see how good God has been to us, who don't deserve it, they look at God and go, wow, no one else treats me like that. No one else would, would look at me and go, you don't deserve anything, but I'm going to bless you anyway. That's not the way our world works. And the choosing of God is exactly that. He's chosen us to be holy, to be like Him. Holiness is only a godly characteristic. It's completely separate, completely beautiful. And he says, I've chosen you to be holy, not because we're so great, but because of Jesus. We'll get there in a moment. We've chosen us to be holy. In other words, his goal as a father in choosing us is, one, he just loves us. That's a good enough reason. Two, to be holy, the reason we're holy is to show the world the goodness of God. So, we're chosen for a purpose. Why would God want to show the world His goodness? Because He wants them to come to Him as well. The greatest debate about the choosing is that, why does God exclude some people? No, He's choosing people so that He can include more people so they can see His goodness. So the choosing, the predestination, the adoption, however you want to look at it, the election is not an exclusive thing that God says, well, I'm only going to love some. It's, I'm going to love some in a very particular way so that they can show the rest of the world how great my love is so that they can experience my love as well. It's actually completely inclusive of our world. It is the beautiful thing about the choosing of the Father. The second thing that happens is not just the choosing of the Father, but the redemption of the Son. The redemption of the Son. The Father chooses and Christ redeems. Redeems is paying the price. Now, if you've ever been in trouble in your life, which I bet you have, because I have, you know that no matter what trouble happens, there's always a price to pay. 
You just, you can't, somebody pays the price. I, I, I laugh at my kids when they do something that I've told them not to do at home. They do it, something breaks, right? And then they go this, Dad, I'll, I'll pay you back. And I'm like, you don't have any money. How are you going to pay me back, right? So then I have to make a choice. I have to forgive them and absorb the cost of the brokenness. Or I have to make them pay. Now, honestly, for our kids, sometimes they need to pay the price. That's absolutely true. They also need to understand grace. <laughs> they need to understand, no, I'll pay the price for this thing that broke. That's okay, boy. And I remember my dad doing that. I came home. I, I was playing soccer one day uh, in, in Africa where I grew up. And I kicked the ball through the window. Big, beautiful hole, just like that. And my mom did the classic thing. I don't know if this happens here. Just wait till your dad gets home. Yeah. And that's the worst part because for hours you're just like sitting there going, oh, what's going to happen? You would rather have her do whatever she wants to do in the moment and get it done because if she had to do that, the price is paid. And when the price is paid, my soul is relieved. But there I sit just like, oh, what's, what's going to be? My dad came home that day. I remember it so clearly. I, I can't remember his exact words, but... It was almost like he congratulated me. He was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well done, boy. Uh, try not to hit the windows next time, but you were playing soccer and having fun, and I actually liked that. That's all right. <laughs> I don't think my, 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 uh, my mom liked his response. <laughs> but what he did in that moment was he said, I'm going to absorb the cost for you, for your mistakes. And that's what Jesus does when, he, when it says he redeemed us. He redeemed everything broken about us because we either think two things. We either think the price is too big, no one can pay it, it's impossible. And we get into this personal pity party. And we're just like, oh, I'm, I suck. Well, yeah, you kind of do. I do. But you know what? He, God loved us in our bad state so much that he paid the price. Or what we do is like, no, I'll pay the price. And so my kids do this every now and then. I say to them, boy, I'll pay, don't worry. And then they still carry on. No, dad, I'll pay you back. I'll do this, I'll do this. And I keep trying to say, you didn't hear me. The price is paid. You don't have to work for this. Jesus here, it says, he came and redeemed us for the purpose. God chose us for the purpose. Then Jesus comes and he buys us back. He buys, he pays the price for all our, all our brokenness so that we now can live in the purpose. And then the third thing that happens in the text, let's go there quickly. It says, you are sealed in him. You were, you also, when you, verse 13, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. You were chosen by the Father. Your price was paid for everything that you're not good enough by Jesus so that you can be part of that. And then the Spirit comes. And if you, if you still doubt that you have a great purpose, remember that, that thing? The day you find out why. The day you find out why. If you still doubt your purpose in God, He comes and He says, Now I've given you the Spirit of God that guarantees your place in the great plan of eternity. So three, the father, I spoke of earlier, the dad who helps his kid live life well and get to live life in the, 
in the good kind of successful way, not in the world-defined successful way, the, the successful in the kingdom of God kind of way. Here, here Paul is saying the Trinity is doing that for you, that even if you didn't have a dad, even if there was no one to help you get there, the Trinity is at work doing that for you so that you can be set up to play your part in the greatest, most amazing plan of history, where every brokenness and everything that you, that you wrestle with will make sense in the end of the day. And you can go to your friends and say, if you only understood what God is busy doing through your pain and hurt, to get to the other side and tell a story of beauty and grace. He's called you to be part of that. And that's why the Spirit of God here in this text, it says, the Spirit of God guaranteeing your inheritance. Now, my dad was a great dad. A great dad. He still is, sorry. He's alive. He's a great dad. He lives in Africa. The African rand, the currency that we use, is very weak. He lives in Cape Town right now. And Cape Town right now is in a threat, threatened place. It's the first international city that might lose water completely. No running water. So in a few days' time, uh, in April, they call it day zero. If there's no rain that comes, significant rain that comes by April, people will have no water running to any of their homes, and they'd have to go pick up water in cans, and they would get the equivalent of about two gallons a day that they need to live off for a while, hoping that rain will come. And the first rains that are currently predicted is in September. So pray for them, please. Now, my dad is there. He's, got a, he's lived his life well. And I have very, very little hope of an inheritance for him. Because even if he gives me riches in Africa, here in New York, as you know, those riches might buy me a couple of coffees and a breakfast. Right? So I can't rely on what my dad has done for an inheritance for me to set me up for success. Sometimes I just wish, oh, if, if, if my dad only gave me a car, or if he only gave me an apartment so I don't have to worry about rent in New York City, and if he only did this for me, then I'd be set up to, to live my life and the plan of God. And here, God is saying, no, 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 the Spirit of God guarantees your inheritance. You don't have to rely on your dad or your dad that was never there. You don't have to rely on your ability to produce an inheritance. The Spirit of God is at work as a deposit and a seal to guarantee that you can have a place in the magnificent story of God. Amen. This is incredible. I'll tell you one story quickly of a friend. His name is Steph, Stefan. And I was pastoring in, in Cape Town when I met him. We started a little small group together in a town, and that became a little missional community, and it became a, a church plant eventually. It was a beautiful story. And one day, I, went, I was an executive pastor at a church, and I went to the pastor, and I said to him, we should employ this guy. I think he's going to be an elder one day, and I think he's going to plant churches. And this guy looked at me and went, oh, I don't know about that. He looks, he looks not like a pastor should look. Now, the, think about that. So I said, okay, well, let's give him any kind of job just to see how he does. He was at that stage making and selling dog baskets from used tires on the side of the road. That was his means of survival. So we had this little office, and we said, we want you to come be our gardener. 
because he studied actually like botanical stuff. So he said, come and be our gardener. Okay. Came, he came and did the garden. He did that garden so well. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Then he became the custodian of the building. He started just opening up and locking and doing all these things. Friendship built, and he just pursued God, knew the grace of God. He got married. He had a family. He then became a leader in the church, just leading small groups and leading things. He then became like an executive pastor type person. And a couple of years ago, I went back to South Africa to go and be at his installation of the lead pastor of the three churches that we used to lead back in the day. Now, I want you to hear something. He was broken down and out trying to make it survival by selling used tires to make dog baskets from. And he believed the story and the purpose of God so much that he was the literal gardener and now he's the lead pastor of churches. I want you just to hear this one thing. The redeeming story of God for your life, no matter what your past has been, is unstoppable because of the Father's choosing, the Son's redemption and the price that He paid, and the Spirit's guaranteeing of your inheritance. So I want to end there and just say this, that the Father comes and when He, when he speaks to us about what He does, He dreams for you. He dreams. He chooses you because He dreams for you. He has a hope for you. The Son comes and guarantees it by paying the price that is needed for you to live in that. And the Spirit comes and guarantees it with the power of God with us here on earth. And as we celebrate that, I want to remind you that this text says perpetually, for the praise of His glory. Not so that we can look amazing, because really that, that we don't. <laughs> but so that the glory of God can be seen in our world so that they can experience His love. And so I want to ask you to just in your heart, I'm going to just pray very quickly. Is that okay if I just pray? I just want to pray very quickly just for your hearts and my heart to respond to this beautiful call. This thing that God gives us freely and that you remember today that nothing you have done can disqualify you because Jesus already paid the price. Listen to this. Jesus has already paid the price for that which you're going to do wrong. The cross is sufficient for all. So Father, we, we come before you today and we just humbly come listening to the story that Paul's trying to say here that you, the Trinity, is at work like a good father to help us into the grand majestic scheme of beauty, restoration of this world, the brokenness that will little by little be taken away until one day when we're face to face with you, all of it will be gone. There will be no tears or sorrow. There will be only joy for what you have done. And today we have an opportunity, every single one of us, as we look at our lives and we can make big lists of why we shouldn't be included in the big story. And big lists of why we, why we should be included and why, how good we are. Come and deal with both of those and, and wipe those clean, God, and that we might remember that it is by the Father's calling, by the Son's paying the price, and by the Spirit's guaranteeing alone that we can stand confident here before you. God, this morning even that you're tugging on the hearts of people to live for you, to choose life for you, where they haven't, to say, yeah, I want to be part of God's big plan. 
would you speak to their hearts right now? If they don't feel a sense of purpose, Spirit of God, would you come and speak to them? Would you come and raise up in their hearts a hope for the future? Let hope rise this morning in our hearts, God, because of what you've done. May we know that everything we do, every life rescued, is to the praise of your glorious grace. Not to the praise of what we're doing. Not to the praise of how good we are. Just to the praise of your majestic grace. And we are grateful for that. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.